All right, our reading today is Exodus 20, 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God. Thank you, Sarah. Back in 2005, I uh, spent a, most of a summer in a Los Angeles suburb called Pasadena. And one night, a group of us went down to a place called Santa Monica Boulevard, which is famous for its shopping and tourism and homeless population and street preachers, right near the, right near the ocean there in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I remember this night because it was the very first time I had ever tried something called Starbucks coffee, <laughs> which was kind of a novelty to me back then. Um, well, we stopped to watch a street preacher named Ray Comfort. Some of you may have heard of him. I'm not sure if it was him preaching or if it was one of his students, but this was kind of his thing that he would do. He had a microphone set up near the street and one for himself. He would invite passers-by to come step up to the microphone and to answer the question, are you a good person? And if the person said, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, let's say your name was Susie, he would say, okay, Susie, so have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, can you name any of them? Sure, um, do not lie. Okay, good. Have you ever told a lie, Susie? Uh, yeah, maybe a few times. Do you know what someone is called who tells a lie, Susie? Uh, he'd say, a liar. So you just said that you are a liar. Right, do you still think you're a good person? Now, sometimes the person would argue they really were a good person, even though they've broken a few rules. Sometimes they would leave. Sometimes they would listen. And the evangelist would continue to list more of the Ten Commandments to show how they had broken all of them. 
Now, I personally am not sure that's the best evangelistic method, maybe for some people, but he was able to do this because everyone knows something about the Ten Commandments, right? Um, they loom large in the collective imagination. We've all read them at least once. We've all seen the movie. They're the most well-known and often quoted part of the Old Testament, except maybe Psalm 23. Billions of words and vats of ink have been spent, have been shed to try to explain this part of Scripture. No other part of the Old Testament has been so studied, analyzed, memorized, quoted, disputed, debated, um, attacked or revered. And so if you walk down any street in any western city, even in Vermont, and you ask someone what they knew about the Ten Commandments, they'd probably be able to tell you something. Right? But, here's the problem. When we come to a familiar, well-known part of the Bible like this, we assume we know what it al we already know what it means. We assume we already get it because it's so familiar. I think there are many misunderstandings about the Ten Commandments. And if we neglect them or if we misunderstand them, our lives will be crooked, will be messed up. If we submit to them as God intended and understand them, we will be on the path of life. So what I want to do this morning is tell you four things that we must understand about the Ten Commandments. We could easily spend a week on every single one of these, and I wish we could, but we just don't have the time. So we're going to look at them as a whole. We're going to step back and look at them all. And as we do this, let's pray to ready our hearts to listen to God's word. Lord, as we look at this very familiar passage of scripture, we pray that you would open our eyes to what is truly here. Help us to see these words afresh. Help them to sink into our hearts. Help us to have the right attitude and right posture as we sit beneath your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so four things we need to understand about the Ten Commandments, and I have, a, I have them listed out here for easy reference. Okay, the first two are brief, the third is longer, and the fourth is the conclusion. So don't let the whole, you know, four is a big number for sermons, but don't let that worry you. So, let's go. Number one, the Ten Commandments are not a ladder, but a road. They're not a ladder, but a road. Some people assume the Ten Commandments are like this ladder that you can climb, that God dropped down from heaven so you can climb up to be with Him. Not true. The first two verses of chapter 20 should dispel that myth. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Did God save Israel because they had obeyed him? 
No. They had not received the law. They had not obeyed the law. They had not done anything for God, you know, to sort of deserve or earn God's salvation. God saved Israel because of his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, because of his own love for his people. And now he's talking to a saved people, outlining for them the path of life. It's a road, not a ladder to climb. Grace comes before law. Now, veering off this road will have deadly consequences. But they're already on this road. They're saved, and this is the way they should walk. The same pattern is true for us in Christ. Uh, we are not saved because of something we proved to God or earned or deserved, but because of the grace that is in Jesus. And now we learn to live as saved people. We are expected to live the way God commands. So that leads to the second thing we have to understand. Number two, the Ten Commandments are a big deal. They had a special name in the Old Testament called the Ten Words. The only part of all of Israel's law that was singled out with this special name. So God gave Israel about 600 other laws. If you count them all up in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. But only the Ten Commandments were spoken audibly to God's people as they were assembled at Mount Sinai. Only this. Only the Ten Commandments were inscribed on stone tablets. Only the Ten Commandments, those tablets, were put into the Ark of the Covenant to be honored and treasured forever. Um, uh, all of the other laws of Israel were applications of and expansions upon the Ten Commandments. This is like the charter, the constitution, the foundation of Israel. And so they're a big deal. They really matter. They are the plumb line by which right and wrong is measured in God's eyes. The verb used in each of these commands, you shall not or you shall, according to Hebrew scholars, is the strongest expectation of obedience. So it's like, it's, it's not like your mom saying, hey honey, can you clean up your room today? It's like, you will clean your room today. <laughs> the strongest expectation of obedience. When you read on in the Torah, the rest of uh, the first four books of the Bible, you see that breaking any of these commandments, except for number eight, is a capital offense. And anything that is a capital offense is one of the Ten Commandments. They're a big deal. Okay, and yet, here is the third thing that we have to understand. The Ten Commandments are not constraining, but life-giving. One mistake we make when we think about these laws is to see them negatively. We may think something like, the Old Testament law was cold and merciless, but the New Testament shows us God's mercy. Or, the Ten Commandments are all negative, but Jesus shows us the positive. 
Or the Ten Commandments are constraining and oppressive, but Jesus sets us free from all that. Not true. Half-truth, which is a complete lie. It is true that eight out of these Ten Commandments are phrased in the negative. Okay? It's easy to see, but has it ever occurred to you, as many Bible scholars have pointed out, that a negative command allows for maximum freedom within certain limits, right? Think back to God's one and only command in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. He said, you may eat from any tree, the fruit from any tree of the garden except one. Maximum freedom within limits. And that's exactly what the Ten Commandments are. They're kind of like the white lines on the side of a steep mountain road that show us the limits of where we should be. When you read through the rest of the Bible, you see that God's law is a source of delight and of joy and celebration. Psalm 119, which we use for the call to worship today, the longest psalm in the Bible, is basically a love song about God's law. David says things like, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Even in the New Testament, James calls the law the law of liberty, the law of freedom. So the the Ten Commandments are anything but these dreary, negative, oppressive things. They're a source for celebration, for joy. Um, It is true that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul teaches teaches us that one important function of the law is to reveal our sin. We'll get to that later. Um, They are the standard which shows us that we are not meeting the standard, but the laws themselves are good. They're good. They're life-giving. So I want to go through a few of these commands and see exactly how and why they are good. They were given to the people of Israel for the good and the flourishing of their community, of their nation, so that they could fulfill their mission of being a special people, a holy nation, a light for the world. So if you look at this list, there's a a pattern, there's a symmetry here. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The last four deal with relationships in society. And the center, number five, is kind of a bridge. It's about family. Let's look at the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. That's where it all starts. The people of Israel lived in a world in which there were more God's available than there are products on Amazon, okay? Maybe that's a slight overstatement. Take your pick, this God or that God or an Egyptian God or an Edomite God or a Hittite God. But God is saying, I want your undivided loyalty and allegiance. I want your heart. Worship me only. All the dramatic things we've read about in Exodus, the plagues, the parting of the sea, the provision, the water from the rock, 
these are all to show the people that God truly is the only God, the living God, the God of their salvation. And so now he's asking, he's demanding for their allegiance, their undivided loyalty. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image. In every other religion, every other um, cult of the day, um, there was a statue or an image of the God, which could be set up here, or set up there, or you know, made offerings to or carted around from here to there. And God is saying, I am not like that. I am not a dead, lifeless statue. I am the living God. So don't think you can manage me and shrink me down into an object. The nations around Israel were always confused, like, where's your God? Where's the image? They went into the temple, you know, long ahead of this. People would come into the temple and say, Where, where's your God? We don't see a statue anywhere. They would say, our God is in heaven. Where's your God? Do not make for yourself an image. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God's uh, closely related to what... Uh, to who he is, is what people do with his name, his name, his reputation. This is not just about, you know, not saying Jesus Christ as a swear word or, oh my God, as an exclamation. This is also about saying things like paying lip service to God on Sunday while ignoring him the rest of the week. Or politicians quoting the Bible for their own agendas. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking an oath in God's name that you don't intend to keep. Bringing disgrace on God's name by our actions. Let me give you an example here. If you are a missionary to, to any part of the Muslim world... One obstacle you run into is that people associate Jesus with America because they know a lot of Christians live in America, but then they see the stuff, the immorality and the greed and the, and the consumerism that gets exported from, Amer exported from America and they think, well, pff, I, I'm not going to believe in Jesus if that's what happens, Right? That is God's name being used in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Only a few months ago in the story, the Israelites were slaves. They were enslaved to Pharaoh. They, were, they didn't have a day off. They were treated as units of labor. And now God is saying, Come and enter my rest. You don't have to work seven days a week. In fact, I'm commanding you to take a day off to rest. And he said, I set the pattern for that in creation. Work and rest are in balance. The Sabbath was also a practice that ensured economic justice because 
Uh, notice that it applies to everyone, servants, slaves, foreigners, animals. This was not a day when you could squeeze a little extra labor out of your, your hired workers or your, your um, immigrant workers or your slaves or servants. It was a day for the whole community to enter God's rest. And it's a huge theme in the Old Testament, the Sabbath. Can you see in those first four, if we can get that slide up again, can you see in the first four how Israel was to be a unique people because of their God, known for uh, being like their God. Those first four commandments teach them how to be in relationship to him, how to honor him, worship him, speak of him, um, imitate him. That's a good thing. That's a life-giving thing. And then commandments five through ten, with that pivot in number five, focus more on the, the health of the community, of relationships with other people. And rather than go by these go through these one by one, I just want to, I want to pose a thought experiment and say what would happen if people did not live according to those commands? Well, uh, families would disintegrate. The natural authority of parents over children would be subverted or flipped. Um, marriages, instead of safe, holy relationships, would be treated casually or ripped apart by unfaithfulness. Jealousy and hatred would boil over to murder and people taking the law into their own hands. All kinds of theft would be common from robbery to burglary to fraud and some would even be legal or celebrated like hoarding wealth and profiting from others' losses. And then when you add false testimony to the mix, justice would be impossible, right? Perjury and dishonest witnesses would undermine truth, and anyone could publish lies or fake news to suit their own ends. And all of that evil would be fueled by number 10, the desire, the grasping, striving desire to have more have something you don't have. I want a different God. I want more money. I want a different spouse. I want more power. I want whatever. I want to do what I want to do and I don't care who I hurt to get there. Now, I feel like I've just described our culture. That's what happens when people abandon God's word. These are good, life-giving laws. I wonder, how much hurt have you experienced at the hands of others who broke these commands? How much hurt have you caused others by breaking these commands? Imagine what the world would be like. Imagine what your family would be like or our church would be like if this was our path if we followed God's law. They're good, they're life-giving laws. But there's one more thing 
We have to understand. Which is going to sound contradictory, but here it is. We can't obey the Ten Commandments. They're essential. They are demanded of us. They are good and life-giving. But we can't obey them. Doesn't God expect us to follow them? Yes. Aren't they good? Yes. So why can't we follow them? Well, the people of Israel couldn't keep the Ten Commandments even for a few days. We'll read about the golden calf in January and how, you know, a few days after they got this law, they were worshiping a gold statue of a cow and having this huge debauchery festival while Moses was on the mountain. And then in Israel's history as it went on, they broke, they failed to keep these laws over and over. Even their leaders and their priests and their kings made a mockery of these laws. And they were punished. They were brought into exile. Israel failed. It's like they went down the path, veering back and forth, crashing into the guardrails or busting through the guardrails. It isn't that the law was bad. It's that this is a plumb line that shows us how crooked our lives are. Because we've all done the same thing. We've all broken all of these commands. Do you remember how Jesus taught that, that lust is the root of adultery? And so even if you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. He said that anger is the root of murder. So even if you've been unduly angry with someone, you have murdered in your heart. Yesterday, we put up the walls for the ice rink behind the Jimmy Center. Uh, we began by staking out the four corners to make sure it was square, and then we started putting up the plywood sides. Uh, and we had strings to guide us, to show us where the sides needed to be. At one point, a board had gotten kicked out away from the string, and I said, hey, Chip, that one's a little out of line. And he said, ah, just move the string. <laughs> so we have two choices. When we come before God's holy law, we can either admit that we are crooked or we can move the string. Those are the only two options people have. And we see both of those things happening. We see a lot of string moving around us. But what about us? We can either admit that we're out of line and admit that we're lawbreakers or we can move the string. But either way, we're proving that we're out of line with God's law. So, friends, we cannot follow the Ten Commandments, but God has done something about that. In the words of the late Alec Mottier, when the Lord's people cannot rise to his requirements, he does not lower his standards, but rather lifts up his people. How? He lifted up his people through giving his son, Jesus. Jesus makes the, the Ten Commandments good news for us. 
He, Jesus lived for us. He perfectly kept the Ten Commandments and all of God's law. He loved and honored his Father in heaven above all. He truly loved his neighbor as himself. He's the only human being who has ever perfectly kept the Ten Commandments. And yet, for all that obedience, what did he get? He got the death penalty, which, by the way, we deserved for breaking the Ten Commandments. And now to anyone who will say, yes, my life is crooked, I need your salvation, Jesus comes and wipes clean our record of wrongs and writes in his own record of obedience. It's this transfer of his righteousness for our failures. And so we cannot keep the Ten Commandments outside of Christ. He has kept them for us. Jesus is also the true endpoint and fulfillment of these commands. He is the true Sabbath rest that we were made to enter, Hebrews 4. He is the true image of God, which is why we shouldn't make images, because there is an image of God, who's Jesus. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. We literally cannot keep these commands outside of Christ. But there's more. But wait, there's more. Um, he also gives us his spirit so that we become people who want to keep these laws. Right? By ourselves, our sinful nature, we want to run away from these commands because they tell us how bad we are and we just fail time and again. But with the Holy Spirit... We have a new heart. We become people who want to serve God, who want to love our neighbor, who want to fulfill the, the true intention of these laws. We recently bought a new Toyota Corolla, and it comes with a safety feature that is new to me called lane departure radar. <laughs> It has sensors pointed at the road, and so if I start veering over the white line or the yellow line, it'll go beep, 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 and it'll actually nudge the steering wheel back toward the center of the lane. It doesn't, like, take control of it for you, but it'll just nudge a little bit. Isn't that the Holy Spirit? When we're departing from the way, he nudges us to show us to get back on the path. So you and I will be measured by God's law. This is the plumb line. This is the path. We will be measured by this law. His standard has not changed. So are you trying to keep the law by yourself? It won't work. Are you moving the string and saying, ah, I know this is wrong, but I, I'm sure these laws don't apply anymore. Or are you grabbing onto Jesus for dear life, saying, Lord, I want to do your will. Thank you for saving me. Teach me to run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. The world needs people who walk this path, showing others what a good and beautiful God we serve.
Let's pray. Lord, your law is good. If we believe otherwise, correct us. Show us that these things were meant for our flourishing. Give us a vision for what the world could be like when people truly follow you. And yet also help us to be honest about our failures, about our own inadequacy. Convict us, Lord. Convict us so that we can find mercy in you and so that we can become people filled with your spirit who want to do what is right. Pray this in Christ's name, the one who uh, obeyed in our place and gives us his heart. Amen. Well...